0: Hey, what's up, guys? This is Pastor Austin from Good Shepherd Church, and this is our podcast. So happy you're tuning in this week to stay caught up on what the Lord's doing in us and through us. I hope this content encourages you. I hope it challenges you, builds up your love for Jesus. Hope you enjoy the message. We love you. Amen. How are we, church? That is an above-average response. Yeah, it's an amazing amazing thing. After like a 103-degree day yesterday... Anyone else just kind of like, I just felt like I could have just in and out of nap all day. You know what I mean? Just on the couch. Like it was just too hot to do anything. Uh, But I'm glad to be here in church with you all. Um, If you're a guest this morning, your first time, welcome. So glad that you're here. My name's Austin, and I have the great privilege with with an amazing team to help lead this church here. Um, Really just a beautiful community of people that we get to serve and be a part of. And we are in this series where we're going through the gospel according to Mark. It's kind of our summer series that we find ourselves in. And today, uh, really, we're we're about, about the halfway point through Mark. And in fact, Mark chapter 8 is halfway just physically through the book. There's 16 chapters. But even more importantly than that, it's a, it's a turning point in the story so far. So far what we've been doing is we've been following this man known as Jesus Christ. We've been following him around and seeing how he's bringing the kingdom to the world around him. And he's doing a lot of healing. He's doing a lot of miraculous things. He's setting people free. He's he's bringing salvation. He's bringing this kingdom in that had been long been prophesied hundreds and thousands of years before him. He's starting to usher this kingdom in. But what's critical for us to remember is that he hasn't actually revealed his, his actual, his like secret identity, right? If he was a superhero or something, he hasn't revealed that yet to his disciples. We read the book and we read it in hindsight, knowing full well who Jesus is. We know where he's going. We know how he's going to die. We know how he's going to be resurrected. We know all the spoilers in the movie. But today, I think it's important that we feel what the disciples would have felt that they're finding out in live time, just in fact, who this Jesus is. And so if you can even before we jump into the passage today, if we can kind of frame our minds in this way where, where these disciples have seen some amazing things happen. Like he has turned just a few uh, lunchables basically into meals for 5,000 people. And then again for 4,000 people. He has walked on water. He has, he has turned water into wine. He has, he has healed uh, demon-possessed people. He has set them free. He has brought sight to the blind. He's brought hearing to the people who could not hear. All of these cra- like like, can you imagine if this was just one of your friends that you were following around and he started doing all these things? That's a pretty good friend, isn't it? That's the guy you want to roll with. And they're seeing all these things. And so they're, they're excited. They're excited, but they don't fully know who he is. But this is the moment today where we actually get to see Jesus reveal himself more fully to his disciples than he has up until this point in the story. So with that kind of background and that context, let's open up to Mark chapter 8. Um, we're going to start in verse 22. We're going to start in verse 22. Now, these first few verses kind of feel like just another moment, another day in the life of Jesus where somebody gets healed. So I'm going to read a few verses and then we'll stop and explain. There's actually a deeper significance and a deeper meaning to what's going on in this quick little story here. It says in verse 22, and they came to, uh, how do you you want to say that word? Bethsaida, Bethesda. I think there's two cities. They sound very similar. It's very confusing to be a pastor sometimes. (laughs) They came to Bethsaida. And some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes, okay, so I was, I was really uh, let down this week to find out that was kind of normal, commonplace practice for medicine in the ancient world. Uh, this isn't just, I, I was kind of hoping it was just Jesus being totally random and totally weird and just like, hey, I'm gonna spit on you and make you, but I just think that that just adds to the story, doesn't it? Below and behold, like, like, like it seems weird to us, but spitting to help aid in medicine was a normal thing back then. So he spits on his eyes and laid his hands on him. And he asked him, do you see anything? Verse 24, and he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Notice his healing uh, begins, but it's not finished. And I think a lot of times we kind of walk in this tension where we pray for people and the, the healing begins, but it's not complete yet. So he has his sight restored. He can see some things in front of him, but he doesn't see things uh, with like perfect clarity yet. So Jesus prays and and this guy says, man, I I can see, I can see people, but they look like trees walking around, like my wife without her contacts in. It's like, I can see the shapes of what's going on, right? But, But I can't really see in clarity who that actually is yet. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home saying, do not even enter the village. So real quick, before we jump into the rest of it, um, this, this is kind of the precursor to the main story that's about to happen. Jesus is about to show his disciples his real identity. And in doing that, he reveals who he is and they see him in part, but they don't see it fully. And so he has to explain it to them further. See, there's all, this word see shows up like eight or nine times in that quick little story there. And it's Mark using like a literary device for us to draw us into not just what's happening with this man that was blind, but what's about to happen to his disciples and what's hopefully going to happen even this morning still for us. That there is, there is a Jesus that they see in front of him. There is a Jesus that we all know, and there's probably more to him than we fully comprehend. And so Jesus is about to, is about to just reveal himself, not just for uh, this blind man to recover his sight, but so his disciples might see. So with that in mind, let's keep going. Verse 27, and Jesus went with on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, what do people say that I am? And they told him John the Baptist and others say Elijah and others say one of the prophets. And so Jesus asked them, but who do you say that I am? That, this really, I just want to kind of pause right here. This is the question for every single person in the room this morning. Who do you say that Jesus is? Your definition of him isn't going to change him at all, but how you define him, how you see him will change everything for you. So who do you say that Jesus is? And Peter chimes right in. This is, this, you know, we always like to pick on Peter. He has these moments of glory, and then he has these moments where he's just, it's so embarrassing, right? And I just, I think he's going to give us all a collective kick in the shin when we all get to heaven, you know? Because he's so easy to pick on, but he has a moment of brilliance here followed, followed up by a moment of horror, really. So he says, who do you say that I am? And Peter answers, you are the Christ you are the Christ. This word, it's, it's Messiah. It's this king, the king of kings. And it's referencing a person that would have been prophesied about all of the Old Testament. So every Jewish person would have been anticipating this coming king, this coming Messiah, this, this Christ that would have come into the world and would have started to establish his kingdom. And Peter, right in this moment, he's like, I get it. You, you, Jesus, are The Christ, you are that King, not just a little k King, but the King of Kings, coming once and for all to establish your kingdom here on this earth. And Jesus answers him, like He says, if we read in in Luke or if we read in Matthew, He says, "You're right, Peter. Well done, well done. You've answered correctly." And then He charges them not to tell to tell no one about them. Verse thirty-one. It says, "And then He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer." many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again and he said this plainly and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him but turning and seeing his disciples he rebuked Peter and said get behind me Satan really high high for Peter and I just don't know if it gets much lower than the son of God calling you Satan right I mean right that's rough For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. We'll come back to that in just a few minutes. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. But whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? And whoever is ashamed, for whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the son of man be also ashamed when he comes in the glory of his father with the holy angels. And he said to them, truly, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God come after it has come in power. They will not see the kingdom of God after it has come in power. So let's pray. Just a moment before we jump right back in. God, I pray that you would help us see plainly this morning. Holy Spirit, we invite you um, to do the work of illumination for our hearts. Would you make this story? Would you make your word? Would you make who you are, your identity revealed to us plainly? We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so Peter answers correctly at first. He says, you are the Christ. And then Jesus, if you notice, he charges him very strictly not to tell anyone, which I think as we've talked throughout the story of Mark, Jesus does this a few different times where he does something miraculous and he says, hey, and don't tell anybody about it. And so right here, uh, like Peter, finally has put all the blues clues together. And he says, you are the Christ. You are the Christ. You are him. You are this long awaited King. You're here right now. And Jesus is like, you're right Don't tell anyone. And he tells them not to tell anyone. The reason why he tells them not to tell anyone is because just even this announcement of the Christ, of the Messiah coming, was a treasonous announcement. In other words, there was a government and there was a king. And for Jesus to step in and say, I'm the king, it would immediately put him at odds with the existing kingdom. And so it is not yet the time for Jesus to suffer as he's teaching us in the next few passages. It's not yet the time. And so he doesn't want his identity revealed because what he's doing right now can and will get him killed. He's saying, I am the king. That that, that would be the equivalent of you stepping into your job tomorrow and saying, I am the CEO. Maybe some of you are the CEO. Maybe some of you have your own job and you are your own boss. That's, That's an amazing thing. But for most people, you can't just step in and be like, hey, today, guess what? I'm in charge. It'd be like us stepping into the White House one day and just being like, today, I am president of the United States. Like, it's just not going to go well for you, right? You step into the Vatican, you go, you go to the Pope's room, and you're just like, hey, today, I'm the Pope. It's just not going to end well. It's, a, it's, a, it's, an, it's not just like this light thing. It's an act of treason. It's an act of acting contrary to the kingdom. And so Jesus says, don't tell anybody about me. And then here's what happens. Jesus starts to go into detail about who he really is. So, so up until this point, Jesus says, you are the Christ. And Jesus basically says, you have it half figured out. You're right. I am that king, but you have some other things wrong. And the things that he has wrong, we see in these next few verses. It says in 31, He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days, he'll rise again. Jesus starts to give us some foreshadowing of what's to come, that his body is going to be crucified. He is going to be put to death. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, "Get behind me, Satan! For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man." Um, Old Testament and Jewish tradition would have would have known that there was coming a day where there were going to be two kinds of people that were going to rise up out of the Jewish people. There was going to be a Messiah, a king from the line of David, and that's who Peter first picks up on here that Jesus is. He's like, you're the king. But there's also a second person that's prophesied about in the Old Testament. And we see in Isaiah 53, um, and actually there are several um, songs of suffering in the book of Isaiah. Mark has referenced Isaiah plenty of times up until this point in the story. But in Isaiah 53, we have this picture of another person cast into our mind's eye of a suffering servant. So there is a coming king and there is a suffering servant, a suffering servant who is going to lay his life down on behalf of his people, who is going to pay his life as a ransom for many, who is going to suffer and endure great pain on behalf of the nation of Israel and of the rest of the world. And so we read about this. I just picked out some verses in Isaiah 53, but I would encourage every single person, if you're taking notes in church, and you should, let's just acknowledge that you you should be taking notes, right? That's good. Take some notes, write down Isaiah 53, put it in your calendar, go back and read that this week. But I picked out a few of these verses. It says in Isaiah 53, 3a, he was despised and rejected by men. Again, this is a prophecy about a coming person. He's going to be despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall, he shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. I just... I read this passage this week and I just I like started breaking down in my office. It's the most clear picture of who Jesus was and what he came to accomplish and the suffering that he knew he would endure on our behalf. And that through his righteousness, he would then impute or give that righteousness to anyone who would follow after him in faith. So Jesus in this moment says, Peter, you have it half right. I am the Christ, but I'm also this suffering servant. And Peter's reaction is no. No way. No, no, okay, why is Peter's reaction that way? I, I got to imagine a couple different things. First of all, if one of my friends just announced that they were going to be president of the United States, wouldn't you be pretty excited about that? Maybe not. Okay, so that's an overwhelming no. Um, and I understand. I, I can actually see in hindsight now how I walked myself right into that one. Um, let's just say your boss, your, your friend, was going to all of a sudden be promoted to CEO of some really sweet company that you would love to be a part of. Like, you know is their friend... There's going to be some perks for you in that. Are you tracking with what I'm saying this, thus far? Like if Jesus is going to be this king and the king that, that Peter would have anticipated would have been a king of force, a king of power, a king that was going to overthrow all the other kings and set up his rule and his reign. And, Jesus, and Peter in that moment is like, I'm going to be your right-hand guy. Like Peter's on the inner circle at this point, man. If Jesus is putting a cabinet together, Peter's in it. And so when Jesus starts teaching about all this suffering that he's going to endure, Peter's response is like, man, I don't know about that. I want the alternative view, right? I want the alternative kind. Maybe, maybe it's not that. Maybe it's because Peter's actually a coward, right? We know this to be true uh, because, because of what happens at Jesus's crucifixion, right? Where Peter is, Peter is within eyesight of Jesus and he denies him three times before the rooster crows. We know that story, right? So we see that Peter's kind of a coward in moments where Jesus needs him to show up. And, and, and maybe in this moment, he hears about Jesus suffering. He knows that he's associated with Jesus. He knows he runs in the same circles. And so if Jesus is going to be suffer, if Jesus is going to be put to death, that's probably what it's going to mean for him too. So maybe it's one of those two. Maybe it's both. And we learn that Peter is just human like you and me. And that as soon as we hear about this suffering that we're going to have to endure, once we hear about this, I'm going to have to lay my life down to follow him. And I'm going to have to trust that he's going to resurrect it into something more beautiful. Maybe all of us respond with a bit of grit in our teeth at that moment because we we want a lot more polished version of a gospel, right? So maybe Peter's just a lot more plain and a lot more human than we make him out to be sometimes, myself included. I'm throwing myself under the bus there because we know Mark 10, 45, this is coming in the story. Jesus reminds us, for even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I mean, you see in, there's not long after this where the disciples start comparing themselves and they start asking themselves, who's the greatest? Which is just like, man, what a, what a sour moment, right? And, and they start like, man, who is, who's going to be the greatest in your kingdom? And, and Jesus reminds us it's about who's going to be the least of these. That like, and, and then we're reminded too of, of how, much, how much Jesus just absolutely loves Peter, that even in the moment after he denies him three times, he invites him three times to be reminded, to remind his soul, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? And so even as we're looking at this today and we're gonna see the reality of Jesus, these two kind of worlds colliding, that yes, he is ruler of all. Yes, he is king of kings and Lord of lords, but yes, his invitation is also to suffer with him, to take up our cross and follow him. And so let's read more about that back in Mark 8, 831. I'm sorry, 34. So he says, get behind me, Satan. Let me, let me actually go back for just a sec. Get behind me, Satan. Um, the reason that is so strong is because Peter is trying to bypass something that God's trying to do, and so thank you so much, you're always so encouraging and just like fills me right up um, yeah, okay, so. So he says, get behind me, Satan, which feels really strong. But I think if we, if we take our minds and we go back to Katie's message just a few weeks ago, and we're reminded of what the kingdom of darkness is trying to do constantly. In this moment, uh, the devil is using Peter's voice as a temptation to Jesus to avoid something that's going to be difficult to do something that might be easy. So Peter's like, hey, you don't have to suffer. Hey, it doesn't have to go this way. Hey, we can actually avoid this whole thing. And Jesus recognizing that that is not the voice of the father speaking to him. That is actually the voice of the enemy speaking. He says, get behind me, Satan. I love that he doesn't actually accuse Peter. He accuses Satan, right? If we go back to that agreement, the the things that you agree with are powerful. And Jesus in this moment says, that's Satan talking out of you, Peter. And so he doesn't so much as condemn Peter in this moment, but he he rebukes the enemy for trying to say, hey, you don't have to suffer. And Jesus is like, that's why I came. I am the suffering servant who is going to suffer with my body for the sake of all. So that's why that verse comes across so strong. And then he says in verse 34, calls a crowd to him, his disciples included. He says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. It's this upside down version of the kingdom. Whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Um, Every month, our bookkeeper sends me a a spreadsheet, a little like PDF thing, and it's basically just profit, loss. And that is what Jesus is breaking down for us very clearly right here in this moment. He's like, hey, just look at the ledger. Look at the ledger. Like there's, there's income on one side and expenses on the other. He says, what profit is it? What do you stand to gain if you get everything that you've ever wanted, but you lose your soul in the process? He said that you, you, can ch- you can throw all the wealth. You can throw all the prestige. You can throw whatever relationship. You can put anything you want in this column. But if you do that at the cost of your own soul, it's never worth the transaction. You're always going to come up in the red. And vice versa is also true. See, I think we think of this passage and we think about it with the eternal weight that it bears, And does this passage bear eternal weight on us? Yes, it absolutely does. If you're going to go your whole life and if you're going to constantly pursue you as God and you're not going to give your life over to Jesus, then you might gain everything that you ever wanted, but you're going to lose your soul and that has eternal ramifications. And Jesus is not just making an eternal plea with you right now. He's also saying, hey, what does it profit you right here in right now? if you were to just gain everything, if you were to have whatever prayer you had answered right now, but it cost you your relationship with Christ, if it cost you your soul, who you are as a person meant to follow after God, if you lost that in the process, it's never gonna be worth it. Uh, There's so much more, uh, like, yes, this is eternal, but there's so much more that this verse means for right now. And I just can't help but feel, there's probably some of you even here today, you have spent your whole life just, yourself in the driver's seat, trying to get yourself to some theoretical destination where there's going to be happiness or there's going to be purpose or there's going to be fulfillment. Finally, if I can just X, Y, Z. And it's just, it's like trying to grab sand. Like the tighter you squeeze it, the harder it's gonna fall out of your hand. But Solomon says it's like this chasing after the wind. Solomon, the, 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 the wealthiest, most wise person ever, Right? He says, I chased after wisdom and it's, I found that like, man, uh, eventually it's all just meaningless. I chased after pleasure. I had, he, had, he experienced more women than, than you could possibly imagine. And he said, it's, it's like drinking salt water. It's just going to leave me more thirsty for something. It, it's never ending. It's never satisfying. I had more wealth. The, the dude planted forests. Okay. Like check your garden in the backyard. How's it doing? That guy planted a forest. Okay. He said, I amassed more wealth than anybody. And what did I find? It was meaningless. It's this hollow pursuit. I'm continually grasping at straws as I'm falling and there's nothing that can fill it. And that is how you are going to consistently feel now, not for eternity. I'm talking about right now, your life. If you continue to bend it around yourself and your desires, you are gonna continually lose it because there's nothing that can satisfy that ache in your soul. And so Jesus says, but if you will, but if you will lose your life, for my sake or for the gospels, then you will find it. This is the backwards thinking of the kingdom, where if we actually surrender and if we lay ourselves down at Jesus' feet and we go, God, I just want what you want, that's when he's faithful to resurrect us into something new. Something that actually has the answers of our heart finally satisfied. Maybe not Maybe not fully worked out yet. Gosh, we're all still working things out, aren't we? But there's something deep inside of us where we finally have peace. That hole has been filled. And now all of a sudden we can start to build a life out that makes sense, that comes out of this, out of this uh, purpose-filled relationship with Jesus rather than this endless pursuit of the next thing. So Jesus said, if you're, just, if you're willing to just lay your life down, he says in this verse, he says, if anyone has come after me, let him deny himself. Let him deny himself, as in, as in yield to the fact that you are not a great God. We, we try to be all the time, don't we? Even us as Christians, we still have parts of our lives where we're trying to be God in our own eyes. We're trying to make things according to our own will. We're trying to force things to happen. We're trying to muster up certain things. Says the first step is you have to deny yourself. Uh, It is is the the weak and and the, the humble in spirit that are gonna be blessed in Jesus' beatitudes. The people who come before God and say, I just, I need you. And in that moment, what you're doing is you're forsaking your own life and you're saying, God, I want, I want to follow you. I want to come after you. And gosh, like there, can we just acknowledge there are parts of Jesus' invitation where he says, hey, deny yourself that that, that still stings a little bit as a Christian. Okay, anyway, like, let's talk about money for just a sec. God's vision for money is not just that you give 10%, but that your life would be totally surrendered in your finances to what God wants to do in any moment. That's not comfortable all the time, isn't it? Y'all are leaving up me up here alone today, all right? And that's okay. <laughs> hey, like God's vision for my time, completely open-handed, willing to do whatever He calls me to do, speaks for me in a moment to do, I'm, I'm open to it. That's difficult sometimes. And so there are still plenty of places where I have pockets in my heart that are still like old Austin is trying to keep his hands on some things. And so this invitation is not just a one-time moment, it's a continual invitation to, hey, put off the old self, die to yourself. Die to yourself, leave it behind. He says, deny yourself and take up his cross and follow me. Take up your cross. That's such a, such a like vanilla thing today. Like, like, oh, we just, I mean, how many of us have cross necklaces on right now or a cross up on our wall? It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a figure of decoration on our walls. But the cross back then, that, that was a, that was a symbol of shame. That was a symbol of rebellion to, to the, to the norms of life, the norms of society. Like to to bear the cross meant to deal, to carry a great deal of pain. And and certainly we, uh, man, as Christians, I think we still feel this to some extent. Like if we're going to actually carry our cross, if we're actually going to represent Christ and if we're going to do the things he did, it's going to be costly. Just announcing yourself as a Christian to your neighbors or to the people you work with. All of that is going to carry with it a certain sense of stigma. You must be homophobic. You must be bigoted. You must be an idiot. You must not believe in science. All these things get labeled onto us. So we we carry some of the shame. But my my question is, have we made Christianity just the version of Christianity that we want it to be? Have we made Jesus just the person that we want him to be rather than study the scriptures and let who they reveal him to be actually form us? See, if you're following a Jesus who's consistently leading you to more comfort, I have questions about the Jesus you're following. Sometimes I think the Jesus in our eye votes the same way we vote spends the same way we spend, right? He, he orients his day the same way we orient our day. And he does all the things that we just conveniently want him to do. You have then made Jesus in your own image and you're not following after the Jesus of the Bible at all, which means you're in trouble, right? Yeah. And so what, even what Peter has done in this moment, if you think about it, Peter has brought kind of his presuppositions to the table. He can't help but have those. He, he grew up how he grew up. But he brings that into the moment and he says, oh, you're, you're the Christ. And what, G, what Peter has done in that moment is he's accepted the parts of the Old Testament that he really likes and he's ignored the parts about the suffering servant that he doesn't like and he says, you're this Jesus. I still don't know who that person is. Jesus says, hey, I'm both, right? He puts them both together and he says, hey, no, 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 may that not be. And he says, get behind me, Satan, because Peter has brought his ideas of who Jesus is and he's pushed those onto Jesus rather than letting Jesus push him on himself. And we do the same thing. We, we, we want to make Jesus out to be uh, a guy who has the same skin color as us. I joke about this all the time, but but even the fact that we make Jesus this blonde-haired, blue-eyed figure on the wall sometimes just proves my point. He's from the Middle East. <laughs> but we, we think we think he's... Oh, I'm, I'm positive. Jesus must be a Democrat. I'm positive. Jesus must be a Republican. He probably votes exactly like I vote. He probably spends his money exactly how I, oh, he would definitely want me to do that. Oh, he would definitely want this. And I, maybe it's all true. But my question is, did you get that from the scriptures or did you get that from your presuppositions? Did you get that from the way that you just grew up? Did you get that from the church you grew up in? And maybe it was a good church. Maybe it was an amazing church. My guess is it probably still had some areas that are off. My guess is I probably have some areas that I'm off. I don't know, maybe, maybe five, 10% of what I teach just isn't quite right. The only problem is I don't know what it is. <laughs> this is why we have unity in grace and charity with one another as we hold on to the essentials and we pursue after the Jesus that has revealed himself plainly in scripture. And this is why, man, again, I'm just gonna come back to this point. I said it last week, I'll say it this week, you should be spending time every day with this book. Otherwise you are likely to let other people define Jesus. And it might not be the Jesus of this book at all. There, there is plenty of this going on today. Gosh, some of you, some of you are, are here because your church has drifted off the fact that this is actually the word of God. You're the church that you left. Churches in this community that are starting to re-identify, re-articulate who Jesus actually is. And they say, oh, this book, it may or may not be the most accurate way to define him. I think we should actually define him culturally in this way, according to these feelings that we're having, those feelings that, that the culture's having. Gosh, let's not say that. That might offend people. Jesus is pretty clear in this passage about what happens if we are unwilling to be, to be representatives of him, how he's going to treat us then when he comes back. If you're embarrassed or if you are, the, the word in here is um, whoever's ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the son of man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his father with the holy angels. It's a dangerous spot to be in the time that we're living, isn't it? Because you don't even have to travel far and you can find a church that just actually just supports everything that I already think. What a terrible place to be. I want to be somewhere. I want to be continually living under the under the weight of this book, going, I actually make a terrible God. I don't think I should, I don't think I should have I, I like I don't know. I I just don't have everything that I need. I need this book. I'm desperate for Jesus to form me. I'm desperate for the Holy Spirit to reveal things in me. And so just as hopefully, hopefully you're taking this charge and you're actually spending time in scripture. And like, I just hope you're spending time day after day, spending, even if it's just little snippets at a time. Here'd be my encouragement. As you get to the parts that feel disorienting and you're like, wait, is Jesus saying this? Don't just rush out of those moments. Can I, can I, we just like offline for just a second. Can I teach you a little fact about how to read your Bible? When you get to the parts that you don't understand, rather than just blitz through the next day of reading, stop and sit there for just a moment. Ask the Holy Spirit to do the work of illumination. The Holy Spirit, when you you ask that, he's going to actually like, he's going to brighten things up. He's going to turn up the volume in certain areas so that you can actually see more clearly. If we're consistently rushing past parts that we don't agree with or parts that we don't like, we're, we're, we're likely to not be formed at all. We're likely to just have these little baby legs that just have to continually uh, have other people tell us. And that Paul says, that's, that's no way to grow as a Christian. So come and read the scripture, take up your cross and follow him, follow him. We're going to end with communion today. And we have plenty of time at the end of service here. And here's, I think the invitation today for communion is for you, to, for you to just sit with the Lord and ask, God, have I, like, where are, where are there definitions that I've just placed in for you? Have I just, have I just made you to look a certain way in my own mind or have I had you revealed to me in scripture to be a certain way? Right, because every one of us, like I said, we have pockets that still need, we still need to die in some places. We still need to put that away in some areas. And so as you come, just ask the simple question, God, is there anything left in me that, that needs to go away? Search me. Search me, oh God. Test, test my heart. See if there's any way that's offensive or way that's off in me. That's the prayer of David. Man, just search me, God. I want to I be in, don't we want to just be in full submission to Christ, right? And so as we come to communion, say, man, just that's the invitation. God, I'm only here because you broke your body and you spilled your blood on my behalf. But then I also think on the flip side of that, maybe we need to come today and we need to ask for parts of us that still need to be resurrected. Maybe there's parts of us that are still just, that, that are so focused on what we need to put away, but we're not actually living towards what we need to live towards, right? Because the, the beauty of the gospel is that Jesus says, if you're going to lose your life, if you're going to quit being God in your own eye and you come to me, then you're going to find yourself, you're going to find it. So maybe some of you still need to find what Jesus is calling you to live for today. Maybe there's some, there's some kind of cloudy purpose for you. Maybe there's some kind of vague idea of what you're supposed to be doing right now. So you ask, God, would you, just, would you bring that to mind? Would you bring that to life? See, it's not all just like disdaining ourselves. It's also recognizing that, man, oh God, you've, you've actually placed some amazing things in me. I'm gonna, I'm gonna disdain the sin that's still in me, but I'm gonna try to also live towards the great things that you've put in me the great purpose that you put in me. So as you come to communion, we're reminded not just of Jesus' crucifixion when he was when he was murdered on a cross, we're also reminded of his resurrection, that he was victorious and triumphed over the grave. So I don't know what it is for you, but let's let the Holy Spirit do his work, even right now. let just all, before we kind of get up and start grabbing communion elements, if you just would kind of close your eyes in your own seats, maybe even just open your hands, put yourself in a posture to receive go search me God what are parts of my heart that are off I need to let go of repent from and spirit of God we also just ask that you would would you breathe fresh purpose into us this morning Would you help us find our life in you right now? I pray for those of us who maybe have a fuzzy dream at the moment, a dream that you planted in our heart, but now it's just fading. Help us live the way that you made us to live. There's only work that the Holy Spirit can do. And so, God, we just ask would you come and would you speak? Would you give images? God, I pray that the work that you have maybe started here today, either leaving something in the past or or embracing something that's ahead, God, would it continue in the days to come? God, if things are really from you, I pray that you would stir it up in us to a point that we couldn't let it go. Would we be people who are just desperate to follow after you? Readily leaving behind anything of this world because it's nothing compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing you. So Jesus, would you help us live into that this week? Would we continue to chase after you? Would we continue to find time in your word and in your presence, listening to your voice? Jesus, we, we need you and Holy Spirit, we're desperate for you to continue. Continue to illuminate who this amazing person is that we're following. The real one. We want to follow after the real Jesus. We love you so much. It's in your mighty name we pray. Amen.